It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, this is Michael D. Higgins has really sort of created a little bit of a debate around homework because last week he was addressing young people and he reckoned that homework should be banned. He reckons that when children go home from a school, they should be using that free time to be more creative and they shouldn't be bogged down with having to do homework. So your thoughts are welcomed on that. Are you one of the parents who, who like the idea of homework and you see it as an extension of learning for your children or are you in the camp where you see homework as an absolute dread and it's almost like a little bit of a lotto win when the children come home and say for whatever reason they've got a night off without homework your thoughts are welcomed on that we'll also be getting an update on that site in Carrickeel in Mallow that uh, the OPW and Cork County Council and Department of Integration have earmarked as a possible site for the erection of modular homes for Ukrainian refugees. Now some would say it looked like they jumped the gun slightly or the contractor, somebody jumped the gun last week and the work began without any consultation with the residents and that's really where the, what stemmed the protests last week and that's what has really upset and annoyed local people. Nobody seems to know what's going on. So there was this online meeting held with the council local councillors, members of the OPW and uh, people from the Department of Integration just to let them know what exactly the plans are so we'll get the very we'll find out what happened at that meeting of course we were off air on Friday by the time that meeting uh, ended so we'll get an update on that and I was also watching out at the weekend because it was something we discussed on the programme a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking with uh, CARE uh, care champions. They're an advocacy uh, group that work with uh, families and people who are living in residential care and in particular people who are in nursing homes and we knew that they were having a a conference at the weekend and it was a conference to talk about how we dealt with COVID and how COVID was dealt with in uh, in uh, nursing homes and the traumatic conditions in nursing homes during the pandemic has now according to this conference devastated families and devastated uh, care work care workers care champions now are seeking an immediate public inquiry into the treatment of older people in residential care during the pandemic and the group's uh, founder Magella Beatty who joined us a couple of weeks ago uh, I can't tell what the issue we were talking about but I know at the end of it I mentioned this uh, this uh, particular conference that she was holding and, and you know she was hoping that that was going to kick start and really put in place 
somebody in the government saying, OK, we need to put our hands up. We need to say things went wrong in residential care. Things went wrong in nursing homes during the pandemic. A public inquiry is needed because by having a public inquiry, we can find out what went wrong and then learned from it. So Magella Beatty uh, was saying that many families remain to this day traumatised by the suffering and the deaths that marked particularly the very early phases of COVID-19. Now, some of the families spoke out yesterday and addressed the conference and some of the families speaking, you know, spoke about not being able to comfort their loved ones in their final moments and not being able to be with them. Why a lucky few, and I, we use the word lucky few in inverted uh, commas, were able to lo- watch their loved ones pass away through windows. And one of them spoke about, um, I was lucky, my mum was on a ground floor and her bed happened to be near a window. But she said, my heart breaks for any of the residents who were on the second or the third floor, because while their loved ones were passing away, they couldn't even look in at the window to watch their loved one take their last few breaths. It's just devastating for those uh, families. Mitchell Ryan is a former care worker. He spoke at the conference. He said he ended up having to leave his job and required professional help to cope with what he witnessed. Now, he worked in a number of care homes and he said the lack of interaction for residents led to depression and he said he could see it. It led to health conditions deteriorating. Mr Ryan said one nursing home had just seven workers catering for more than 70 residents and he said that would have been on a good day. So you would have had one care worker looking after 10 residents and he said that sometimes led to residents simply not getting out of bed until three o'clock in the afternoon because there literally wasn't enough care staff on, particularly if somebody needed additional help you know, maybe lifting, getting out of the bed. So the only solution was they had to stay in bed until three o'clock. And he said the knock on effect of that was that some residents ended up with bed sores because obviously uh, the lack of movement. One person in particular, he remembers, he said you could actually see the hip bone oh my goodness, the bed sore had gotten so bad. He said corridors were locked down. Residents were locked into their bedroom, whether they had COVID uh, or not. And he said as care workers, they were raising concerns, but he said they were not not given any additional uh, help. And uh, the issues, he said, severely impacted the quality of life for those uh, residents. And then there was what could only be described as a heartbreaking letter, which was written by a gentleman called Jim Fogg. Now, Jim is currently a resident in a Dublin nursing home and obviously has been in the nursing home for a number of years. So he was there right throughout the pandemic, but particularly in the early uh, days. So he wasn't, you know, well enough to be able to attend the conference, but he wanted his voice to be heard. So he wrote a letter that was read out describing the never ending loneliness that he went through. Now, this would have been obviously when there was no visitors allowed into the nursing home. And he said, I never want there to be a time again in my life where anyone in charge tells me I cannot see my wife, especially my wife, or I cannot see my children and I can and I won't be able to see my grandchildren. He said, I felt like I did not own my own life, like I was a person who had absolutely no value, like I counted for nothing. And then the Irish Association of Social Workers, they were also speaking at this uh, conference and they said it was very much out and out of sight, out of mind nature. 
teacher to care at the time. And despite res- visiting restrictions being, you know, understandably put in place during the early stages of the pandemic, uh, they say that there was, a, this is the social worker said that there was a failure to adapt solutions, particularly solutions that were adapted elsewhere. And they cited in particular in uh, Denmark, visiting restrictions were banned in the summer of 2020. Very early on in the pandemic, they realised the effect of having this ban on visiting, the effect it was having on people in long-term residential uh, care. So they completely uh, banned it because they realised that if they left these restrictions in place, it was as if people in nursing homes um, simply didn't exist. And these were people that, you know, they wanted to live. They wanted to be able to see their family members. So the Association of Social Workers said Ireland seemed to have a hangover from its years of institutionalising people which he described which the social workers um, Vivian Gearan described as the we know best approach and then Christine Bohan is from Farnree here in Cork she spoke of her mother Kathleen and the day her mother died Christine was told days prior to her mother's death that some staff members had tested positive for Covid but she was reassured over the phone everything was fine days later she rang to check up to see how her mother was doing to be told oh she had a very bad night last night and that she was actually on oxygen which obviously took Christine by surprise it was then she was informed that her mother actually had tested positive for COVID and then sort of the next statement was oh I thought you knew already like I thought somebody had told you and nobody had told the family that her mum had COVID and out of the 50 residents in that particular nursing home 49 tested positive for COVID-19 Christine Bohan was told to come to the nursing home immediately on the 1st of February 2021 so coming up to the second anniversary uh, this week and uh, the curtain was pulled back and Christine said my mum was there and she was dying all on her own she said for the next two hours uh, I stood outside the window in a storm watching her. She said, I was actually clawing at the window, telling her how much I loved her. And she said, I relive that, relive that every single minute. Isn't that just dreadful? And actually, I thought when I heard Christine's story, when, you know, she said the curtain was pulled back, I thought it was the curtain around the bed. It was only when I realised that she was outside the window. So she was, you know, they realised obviously that this lady uh, was didn't have long left. So Christine was told to come, to come to the nursing home, but to stand outside the window. And she then, as one of the other people at the conference said was one of the luckier ones because their mother, their father, their loved one was on a ground floor. But God help us, anyone that was on the second or third floor, obviously they didn't even get the privilege of standing outside a window and watching your mother or father pass away. It's just really, really uh, shocking. So, as you know, stories, lots of stories like that spoken about at that conference by Care Choice and Care Choice now saying uh, it's an immediate public inquiry into the treatment of older people. And I'm assuming anyone that had a loved one in nursing home uh, care during COVID-19 will say the very same thing. We do need to have some public inquiry, even if for no other reason, but we learn the mistakes so that if God forbid we had another pandemic or something else happened that we can simply learn and make sure we never make the mistakes, which has now caused so much trauma 
for families who are left behind reliving those memories but even to hear I thought that guy uh, Mitchell Ryan very brave to come forward and say look as a care worker I saw uh, what was uh, wrong and you know he's also been left absolutely traumatised by what he went through as a worker and you can feel sh- be sure that there's many other workers feel the same way. And when I mentioned uh, nursing homes and do we need a public inquiry and a media public inquiry into the treatment of older people particularly in the early days of Covid uh, somebody says whatever about a public uh, inquiry they will get plenty of extra and good staff if they paid a decent wage. People have been asked to work 12 hour shifts for 10 euro an hour it is a disgrace. We need to look at the wages that are paid to particularly care assistants working in uh, nursing homes. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 and to people out on Cape Clear we spoke about this last week on the programme when a gentleman joined us to talk about there had been lightning and storms that caused damage to the air network. Now it happened on the 25th of November. We were discussing it last week. Two two months on there are still people out on Cape Clear who don't have their landline and they were getting nowhere with air so we said we'd get on to air to see if we could find out what is happening and when can people on Cape Clear expect to have their landlines back. Uh, air have come back to say that the repair teams are working on those faults as a matter of urgency. They went on to apologise to the customers for the inconvenience and they're hoping to have the service issues resolved as quickly as possible. And it's kind of a little bit how, lo- how long is a piece of string. I don't unfortunately have a date for anybody out on Cape Clear as to when your landline is going to uh, go to be back except to tell you that air are are working on the falls as a matter of urgency even though people on the island will say we were now two months without our landline this is court today on c103 email patricia now with your story or comment cork today at c103.ie now as we covered last week on the program an online meeting was held on friday whereby local councillors were to be briefed by the opw and the department of integration about the suitability of a site in Karakil in Mallow for the erection of modular homes for Ukrainian refugees as promised. Uh, Fianna Gael Councillor Tony O'Shea joins me with an update. Good morning to you Tony. Good morning Patricia. And, and you're welcome to the programme now to quote Shakespeare to be or not to be. Are the modular homes going to be built on the site or is it still too early to say? It's still too early to say um, Patricia uh, we had a good meeting look, with, with a representative from the Department of Children and Equality and uh, a representative from the OPW uh, online on Friday. Um, they opened the meeting with an apology because they knew they had started ahead of time or ahead of schedule without, without briefing the councillors of the representatives. So um, they confirmed what's going on at the moment, Patricia, is just only... Uh, uh, site investigation works and they need to go back on site this week and they won't know if that site is actually suitable for another week or so but they, need, they will be going back on site this week uh, Patricia uh, to find out if the site is suitable So at the end of two weeks it'll be a yay or a nay so if at the end of two weeks they deem yes this site is suitable talk me through what will then happen particularly from the local residents' point of view when it comes to communication? What will then happen is that the OPW will start uh, their communication with the nearby estates and the local residents. Um, They will be dropping a leaf to drop and also if a meeting needs to be had uh, to brief the people, 
uh, one or two representatives from the estates. Uh, I'm sure that won't be ruled out either, Patricia. And has, at the meeting, did you get a 100% confirmation that if these modular homes go ahead, it will only house Ukrainian refugees, women and children? We did, Patricia. It's specifically for Ukrainian refugees who are fleeing the war. Uh, there are proposed uh, 30 uh, two-bed modular homes um, for this site in Calakil, if it's deemed suitable. Um, and there, what they said to us, Patricia, was they're two-bed, they sleep four. You might have only a family of three. There'll be no mixing and matching the family. We'll have a home of their own. Okay, so th- so if it was all families of four, 120 would be the maximum that would be in that estate. But as you say, some houses will only may only have two people, others may only have three. That's correct, Patricia. Will it, uh, and, will, and will it be Ukrainian families who were already living in the town in emergency accommodation? Uh, sorry, Patricia, I didn't get that. Will it be Ukrainians who are already living in the area but are living in emergency accommodation? I'm not sure of that, Patricia. What they have told us was it's specifically for families who are coming in from uh, Ukraine fleeing the war. So I'm not sure if it's for the families, the Ukrainians that are living in emergency accommodation in Mallow at the moment. Or is it for people like in Glantan, where I am at the Shannon Parish, we have an emergency residence and that's where they come from the plane down to Glantan and then they move on from there, Patricia. Yeah, because the, the Dutch tulip in Mallow. That's, that's correct. Yeah, that's, that's as far as I know, has... Ukrainian, uh, mainly women and uh, children, but that that would be deemed emergency accommodation, wouldn't it? Because they're that's like hotel room they're living in. Um, yes, even though I think they're there long term, because I know families that their children are actually attending schools in Mallow, uh, Patricia. Yeah. Whereas in Glad Ten, it's different. They don't attend school because I think the maximum period of time they're there would be a week or two. Okay. Until such time that they get uh, uh, proper homes for them. Okay, do you know, okay, and the other questions that were coming in, are there any other sites in Mallow under consideration, Tony? No, that was the only site that County Council put forward uh, for this specific project, uh, Patricia. Do you believe that the department and the OPW need to learn from the situation in Mallow, particularly the fact that local residents need to be kept informed? Absolutely, and I stress that at the meeting, Patricia, like it, it was rolled out too fast without any engagement even for ourselves, but most importantly for the residents of the Calisheel area. And they acknowledged that. And they said that the normal process was the way they carried it out now. They would do their site investigation work. If the site was deemed suitable, they would then start uh, the process of communication with local residents and nearby estates. Yeah, and, you know, I think the biggest bone of frustration and anger and certainly for some of the people who've been protesting, many of them are on a council housing list for many, many years. Can you understand why people get frustrated when they're going to see these, if it goes ahead, 30 modular homes go in and somebody who's been on a housing list for 10 years thinking, I'd love to move into one of those? I can see where they're coming from, Patricia, 100%. Um, these modular homes, that I think the government should should go back and look at these type of homes again, uh, maybe to improve the housing crisis they were in at the moment. Patricia, they told us on Friday that these modular homes have come on leaps and bounds 
in the last number of years and there's a lifespan in of 60 years uh, for a modular home purchaser. And mm-hmm. price-wise, they're costing between 125 and 150,000 euros. Yeah, and just and that money's not coming out of, I know you mentioned this on Friday, that's not coming out of Cork County Council's budget. Absolutely not, no. It's the EU purse, uh, Patricia, the same purse, I presume, that's funding the hotels and uh, and emergency accommodation right across the country. Okay, somebody wants to know, and I don't know if this got mentioned at the meeting, um, what about Ishka Air and Irish Water's position on providing services? Is there water in the site? Uh, they told us on Friday there was actually water main going down through the middle of the site. Um, so I presume uh, connections for water and electricity wouldn't be that far away when you have it's a built up state you know what I mean Okay Okay stay there because uh, Annette Nagel I'm told is on the other line uh, Good morning Annette Good morning who, Trish, how are you? Also, uh, I'm very well who also joined us last week um, are, are you are, there, are, are people protesting again this morning at the site? They sure are yeah they're there since early morning very early morning And are you taking any comfort from listening to Tony and what came out of the meeting on Friday? Um what came out of the meeting on Friday, we're, we're not happy with it all. Um, you know, it just seems to be a bullheaded approach. Just get in there, get get the job done, and it's, the residents don't matter, you know. Um, that's what that's what the feeling of, of the people who are protesting up there, you know. Um, like, it's nothing to do with Tony or any of the local uh, councillors. Um, you know, we, we we're aware they didn't know any more than we did. So, you know, it's nothing to do with them, but we just don't... We're just not happy with the way the OPW are going ahead with it, you know. Um, and we're we're we, we don't really believe the narrative that it's um, just going to be exploratory work for the next couple of weeks because it seems to be an awful lot of money that has been put into it already, and we believe that they probably have already decided the site is suitable. And okay, uh, and and we don't know. They're saying the site works are going on, so we have to to, to trust them that they are just doing site works. But if it comes mm. back that it, that it is uh, suitable, a hundred percent guarantee that it is going to be Ukrainian women and children. How will residents feel about that? Residents will not have a problem with that. Well, not the ones that I have been speaking to anyway. Um, obviously, I can't speak for everybody. Um, nobody will have a problem with it if it is. Absolutely, one thousand percent Ukrainian women and children. Yeah, people fleeing, people fleeing war. But yeah. back to the point, and I know uh, you uh, you're on you're on a council you're on a housing list yourself, aren't I you? Am. There, there is a sense of frustration. Why, you know, if you can build these houses for the Ukrainian yeah. refugees who desperately need to be looked after, everybody accepts that. Absolutely. Why can't you build them for people on the council's housing yeah, list? Yeah, this is it. And and Tony and Fairness can you know explain that you know this has been looked at. These modular type homes have been looked at by the government before and were deemed unsuitable. But, as Tony pointed out, they have come on in leaps and bounds in recent years. And so it is something that could be looked at from from now going forward. Um, but in the meantime, that is no of no comfort to anybody who's been waiting on a list for 10-plus years, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you look, I mean, if these modular homes are going to be... Um, used for housing than the you know, for Ukrainian women and children, if that's what they're saying is true, then, you know, there's no reason why they can't be used for people who are on the council housing list as well, or are looking for social housing. And Tony, there there there's a three year contract on these on this site, isn't it? That's correct. It's for a, a period of three years, Patricia, and that site and homes revert back to the local authority. 
to be used what, uh, to be used then for for respect to the council for the council use I would I would be thinking Patricia and what so, what uh, happens if the, if the God forbid the war is still raging or what happens if some of those families have decided there's nothing to go back to in Ukraine I want to stay here I presume they will be left there Patricia but at the end of the day look as the net said there look uh, I, I, I will be going back to the powers that be Patricia like this is a solution for the government uh, if these modular homes are, are good uh, and have a lifespan of 60 years. I think it, it, it's an answer to this crisis that we're in at the moment. Yeah, and you have sites, you have other sites in matter that modular houses could go on. We have other sites in matter, yeah. yes, uh, Patricia, and not only matter, like, you know, you'd have them in villages and other towns in, in Norcock as well, so uh, it is a solution, and whether the powers that be will look at it now, Patricia, or not, uh, time will tell. Okay, okay. And Annette, in the meantime, the, the protest continues. Does that mean you, they, the protesters are stopping the site work from going ahead? Well, at the moment, nothing seems to be going ahead, as in, like, nobody, <clears throat> excuse me, nothing has been tried to be brought on site since the protest started. So, um, hard to know <clears throat> exactly what they're planning on. But if they do try and access the site and what looks like building materials and stuff like that, then no, they won't be allowed on site. Okay, okay. Well, uh, keep us uh, updated on that, uh, Annette. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, Tony, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, you. Bye bye. That is uh, uh, Mallow Councillor Fine Gael for Fine Gael, uh, Tony O'Shea, and Annette Nagel, who is one of the protesters outside the site in Carrickeel in uh, Mallow. As I say, about two weeks. The OPW reckon it is going to take uh, before the site work is completed and before they will know if the site is suitable for these 30 modular uh, homes, two bed, two bedroomed homes suitable for families of up to four. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Last week, President Michael D. Higgins said that children should be allowed to use their time at home for creative activities. And his comments has once again opened up the debate about homework, which can be the bone of contention in many, many families. The National Parents Council believe that Ireland needs to have a national conversation on homework and joining me the CEO of the National Parents Council and that is Anya Lynch. Good morning to you Anya. Good morning. Now Anya are complaints about homework one of the most common topics you hear about from parents? Um, I wouldn't say it's one of the most common but it's the most persistent probably is the best way of saying it. I mean I've been in this job for 15 years and it's constantly a conversation that we're having with parents. And is it up to individual schools, up to individual teachers to set how much homework is given? It is. And um, whereas that in some ways makes perfect sense in the fact that the teacher knows the children in the class best and knows what they're, I suppose, progressing with in, in the class in terms of the subjects best. Um, it, it also doesn't make sense in another way that every teacher has to develop and design homework themselves. So we know we have um, a common curriculum across our schools. And I suppose what we think is that the, the homework should be connected to that curric- curriculum at a national level. So every teacher doesn't have to, 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 to make it up for their class. 
And I suppose the benefits of that would be that we, we could, um, I suppose, link the homework to the home environment. So we know that, that children's learning at home is really important, and we know that parents' involvement in children's learning is really important to how children do in school. Yet what we've currently got is a system that probably creates that um, parental engagement um, in, in the most negative way it can be in terms of, I suppose, standing over children often, um, making sure they do their homework when they come in, making sure it's all completed before they go back to school. And it just creates this negative cycle around the parental engagement in their children's learning. And yet we know that when that engagement is positive and works well, that that actually has a really significant impact on the educational outcomes for children. Yeah, and what advice do you at the council, do you give to parents, particularly the ones that feel that their child is simply getting too much homework and it's just causing nearly World War Three at home uh, every evening when the books have, have to come out? Yeah, well, I think the first thing you should do is talk to the teacher. Quite often the class teachers are unaware that this is causing so much difficulty in the home. And that really is at the crux of the partnership between the home and school. There has to be good conversations happening between the home and the school because it may be taking your child a long time to complete, but maybe for a child who finds it very easy, um, they're getting it done quickly. So unless the teacher's getting feedback about how individual children are managing, they won't know. And I think that that also speaks to, I suppose, the more traditional sense of homework that, that we're more used to at the moment, which is more of what a child has done in the school that day. And I suppose if, if, if children are just doing more of what they did during the day, the children that can do it are, are generally bored by it. And the children that can't do it are more frustrated than they were during the day because mm. it's just being reinforced with them that they can't do it. And I suppose what, what we know is that children learning lo lo lots of different ways. But in the, cl the classroom can be quite a restricted learning space just because of the amount of children, the constraints of a classroom in terms of space, etc. So actually, we could find different learning methodologies that would be much easier to do in the home on a kind of more one-to-one -one basis with a parent that would be done in a classroom. And I think using those other different ways speaks to what the president is saying, actually, is that they're more creative and fun and engaging. So being creative and homework don't don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think we, we could find creative, um, engaging ways to, to support and reinforce learning during the day rather than just redoing it. Yeah, and I know um, over the years I would have dealt with parents who would have, you know, contacted the programme about, you know, a particular teacher who's notorious for giving too much homework and parents talking about the stress levels of it. But, uh, but I do know that a lot of teachers, you know, if you go in and engage with them, as you're recommending as well, uh, many of them will set a time limit and will say, depending on the age of the child, you know, if 40, half an hour, 45 minutes uh, and then stop. And that's the most sensible approach, isn't it? Because some children will get more done than others. Yeah, well, I think one of the things is, is that teachers do, uh, do uh, well, are supposed to differentiate homework. So for a child that finds certain things very easy, you know, they might get something a little bit more challenging. And for children that are struggling with a topic, they might get something that helps them learn it in a different way. So teachers do, do differentiate homework. But unless they're getting feedback from parents, then sometimes that, that, that knowledge isn't there for them to know to do it. So when you're in a classroom with, with a number of children, sometimes that, that small detailed information about how children might be struggling 
um, just isn't there. So it's really important that the conversations between parents and, and teachers, because sometimes what parents will do is they'll feel, I have to nearly do the homework for my child because <laughs> I don't want them to get into trouble when yeah. they go back. Yeah. But the reality is that's not helping anybody. No. You know, yeah. and, and the child won't get into trouble when they go back into school if the parent is going in and saying, look, we spent half an hour on this. You know, this is what we were able to do in that half an hour. My child really doesn't understand. I'm wondering if you can do something to support them. That That's the kind of conversations that, that you know, parents need to be having. It's important that children show effort um, and, and are supported to do that and not give up. But if that's not the, the same as sitting there for hours and getting frustrated and upset and, and really reinforcing that they can't do something. Um, so that, that conversation between the parent, the child and the teacher is really, really important. I saw um, it was in the Irish Mirror last week. They ran a, a poll of, of just their readers, but 98 percent of readers voted in favour of a ban on, on homework. But, but listening to you this morning, you, you, you're not saying that we need a complete ban on homework. No, I think we need to reimagine it. And I think, you know, when we talk about homework, we, we all think we're talking about the same thing. But, you know, there's, there's no kind of national standard of what homework is. And I think there's a really um, important uh, milestone coming up shortly in terms of a new primary curriculum. And I think it would be really useful there to kind of set out different ways that 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 teachers could set homework that's imaginative, that's creative, that uses different learning styles that supports the curriculum learning in the classroom. Um, I think it's a real opportunity that we could maybe structure something a little bit um, more thought through. And it really doesn't make sense that every teacher in the, in the country is trying to do that on an individual basis. Um, it, it makes, we wouldn't expect every teacher in the, in the country to come up with a, a maths curriculum um, for their class. So I think it, it makes sense that, that homework um, ideas and tools go with that curriculum to support teachers in setting effective homework. Is there any direction at the moment from the Department of Education on homework? No, at the moment it, it, it does lie with the classroom teacher for setting homework. That that would be the, the direction that it's the classroom teacher's, um, I suppose, responsibility to set the homework. Someone has suggested, could they not stay in school for an extra 30 minutes every day and do the homework in that 30 minutes? School finishes early enough as it is. That would eliminate homework. Well, look, I think some schools do have, you know, after school clubs where homework is done. But I think one of the key things that, that homework does allow for is that communication between parent, child and school. And it, it, it um, I suppose it gives information to the parents around the child's learning as to how they're doing. And sometimes that can be quite critical in terms of the, the conversations and, and the support that parents... Parental involvement in education has well, well been researched over decades as being you know, really important, particularly in the primary years, in terms of how children, um, I suppose, achieve in education. So I don't think we want to do things that, that remove parents from that conversation and from that, that learning engagement. But I think what we want to do is, is, is reimagine it so it doesn't look like the type of work that children do in school, you know, that it isn't sitting with a copy book and an exercise book and going through more of the equations that they were doing that day. I think we need to look at it and say, well, how does, the work that's happening in the school linked to the real world. Why, why does this make a difference? Why does it make sense? And set 
set the work at home that can connect those two worlds for children yeah. okay, that their and, learning and, in school makes and, sense. And here's an example of, of why and how homework is important. A listener says, Patricia, getting no homework to me is a very bad idea. When my child was in national school, I knew that there was a problem. I kept saying at a parent-teacher meetings that there was a problem, but I was told, no, he's fine. He will eventually get it. He did get extra help with maths and English, but by the time he got into fifth class, things had gotten really, really bad. I took him for a private assessment because I was told by the school he wasn't bad enough to need private assessment. It showed that he had a learning difficulty. I already knew that, but only for the dreaded homework, I wouldn't have known that there was anything wrong. I used to spend hours upon hours sitting at the table with him. Glad to report he is in secondary school now, just past higher level maths and English at junior cert, but only for the homework. Where would he be now? I wouldn't have realised that there was a problem going on. And that is a good point as well, Anya, that by doing Mm -hmm. homework, parents can see what's going on. Absolutely. And and it helps those conversations then between the parent and the teacher around the child's learning. Now, it's, it's unfortunate that that caller had the experience that they did. But I mean, often what will happen is that a parent will identify something in that one to one situation in the home that can really, you know, help the teacher and the parent and the child work towards, um, you know, improving in areas where there's difficulties. Um, so, yes, homework, it, it, it just it just gives that parent the insight into their child's learning. OK, listen, we leave it there, Anya. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. That is Anya Lynch, who is CEO of the National Parents uh, Council. Your thoughts are welcomed on homework. As I say, it all got kicked off because of Michael D. Higgins' uh, comments last week saying children should be allowed to use their free time at home for other creative activities that they shouldn't be spending it all on homework. But listening to Anya there, it's some kind of more a more blended form of homework is what we need, which would benefit uh, everybody. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were discussing homework in the last hour and I've just seen uh, Sean Defoe tweeting um, on his Twitter account, homework on the way out. Tisha Gleover-Radker says he thinks children get too much homework and he's going to have a chat with the Education Minister uh, about it. And he was picking up on President Michael D. Higgins also rounding on homework last week. So the, the Taoiseach now getting involved in this debate on do our children get too much homework. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in. Angela says, I feel some schools give too much homework, but it very much depends on the teacher. And that was the one thing that Anya Lynch of the National Parents Council was saying. There's no direction coming from the Department of Education. They don't tell schools, they don't tell teachers how much homework they should or shouldn't uh, give. So it's up to each individual school to set policies on homework. But what it seems to be, it's every individual teacher, because I think most parents will know that there's probably one teacher in the school. Most of the pupils will know that there's one teacher in the school who's notorious for giving a lot of homework. And you'll often hear, you know, in in June when you know, the children are breaking up and, you know, they're they're off for the holidays and they're going to there and they're already told you know whose class they're going into in September how often would you have heard children dreading oh I'm going into Mr Ryan's class he's known for giving a lot of homework now he mightn't be it could just be something locally that gets spoken about but some teachers do seem to give more homework than uh, others and uh, that's what Angela is uh, picking up on um, She and, and she's citing an example in the, her own house her daughter she said rushes home from work trying to beat the traffic now Angela looks after the ground 
grandchildren while her daughter is at work. So the daughter has to come to Angela's house, collect the children and then head home. Now, Angela says when the children come in from school, she starts the homework with them, but she says she never has it finished. She said by the time her daughter picks them up and they get home easily, it's seven o'clock. She said it can be eight o'clock before any of the homework is done. Uh, the, child, the children go to bed at nine o'clock, she said, and my daughter then has to turn in, turn around to start doing all the rest of the housework stuff that needs to be uh, done. What kind of a life is that? Surely they could stagger some of this homework, says Angela. And I don't quite know what you mean about stagger, but I, I take it if your daughter was asked, would she like to see a ban on homework? She'd probably opt for a complete ban so that at least when she would go home with her children, she wouldn't have the worry of having to turn around and do uh, homework. Maura in, uh, and that's, uh, I know that's, a, that's a, a different problem with working parents who are trying to fit it all in and try to spend some quality time with their children and some of that quality time can actually be now spent on trying to get the homework done. Maura Mitchestown says, I feel that homework, is, that it's good to give some level of homework. Maura says, I think that it's a great time for parents to maybe spend an hour with their children sitting down uh, at the kitchen table getting the homework done and it's a chance for mammy or daddy to interact with the children as to how their day has gone and get through the homework. Uh, Maura says there's so many distractions today with phones and games and uh, TV that if you didn't have that time where you sit around and get the homework done uh, they'd all be off doing their own thing and you wouldn't get to spend what Maura says can be quality time with uh, children. So there's somebody putting a positive uh, spin on homework. Thank you for that. 0818103103 on modular homes that we were discussing earlier in the possibility of this site in Mallow. We won't know for two weeks if it's suitable or not, according to the OPW. Uh, Marie says, I have no problem housing Ukrainian women and uh, children. Uh, the women and children are arriving in this country, but Marie's problem is that later the husbands are coming to Ireland and joining them. And I don't know what you mean by that. Is that after the war? Uh, some of them will come and join them. Marie says it's unfair on people. Why can't they give those modular homes that they're talking about if they do go ahead in Mallow there's others to go ahead in uh, Mahan uh, why can't they give some of those homes to the Irish people the people that are on the count, the council list why can't we mix them and have local people along with the Ukrainian families what we're doing now is we're forming housing estates that are just going to be for the Ukrainians that's not good for society we need to mix the cultures at the end of the day we are living already in a multicultural society so to have housing estates just for the Ukrainians, surely that goes against the whole nature of having a multicultural society. And that's that's a fair enough uh, point. Are we going to have housing estates all over the country that are just Ukrainians? What if you mixed, if you had half Ukrainians and half local people on the council housing list? Wouldn't that be a better blend? Uh, that that's a, a fairly valid point, uh, Marie. Uh, thank you for that. To oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and just staying with asylum uh, seekers, and these are separate to what we're talking about with the Ukrainians. This is to do with people coming to this country for international protection. Uh, Jar was in Killarney at the weekend. Was really shocked and taken aback to see people sleeping rough on the streets in uh, Killarney. Now, Jar says they're not Irish. But it just seems so unfair. Jar says, I gave them some money. Awful to see people sleeping rough in a beautiful town like Killarney. And then Jar says, yesterday morning, walking around Killarney, couldn't get over the number of people begging on the streets. This is certainly not something you expect to see 
in a tourist destination like Killarney. It's not fair to anyone to come into this country and then find themselves living on the streets. Where will all of this stop? It's not right. And then when you look at direct provision centres, we're seeing people protesting. Uh, there's more at a direct provision centre. There's, it's a hotel, isn't it, isn't in Lismore that's going to be turned into a direct provision centre. Uh, where is it all uh, going to end? And, uh, there is a problem, certainly, with the direct provision centres that are already in uh, place. And one of the biggest problems, and I saw there was there are discussions actually underway between the Department of Children and the Department of Justice uh, to try to find to try to find accommodation for international protection applicants. These are ones who have gone through the asylum system. They've been granted permission to stay in this country. But guess what? They can't find suitable, affordable, private rented accommodation. And because of that, for example, most of the people in the direct provision centre in Mosny have been given permission to stay. They're allowed, they've passed the asylum uh, process, but they're still remaining in uh, Mosny. And seemingly there's around 5,000 people in other direct provision centres who uh, can't leave or won't leave because they simply can't find accommodation. These are people. So that would free up the spaces for the other international protection applicants who are arriving. And we now know since last week they're sleeping on the streets in Dublin, which I think is going to cause a humanitarian issue if that continues, because the homeless services in Dublin are simply not going to be able to cope with the number of people homeless and sleeping at rough so we need to but how do you solve the problem with the people who have permission to stay but they can't afford or can't find suitable accommodation because they are just joining the numbers of Irish people who can't find suitable accommodation and are living in emergency uh, accommodation at the moment I mean there's no easy answer uh, to it but the problem is we're just going to create more and more uh, homelessness and we know at the moment people living in emergency accommodation people that are in hotels and uh, guest houses were over 11,500 aren't we at the moment and I actually saw uh, figures published last week that actually 40% of the 11,500 who are deemed homeless but living in emergency uh, accommodation 40% are actually not Irish citizens and if you break that down further you know many of them would be uh, would be Europeans but 17% of them are non-Europeans so we take it that some of them are people who've gone through the asylum uh, process they're allowed to stay here but they can't find uh, accommodation so it's just it all everything goes back to the accommodation uh, crisis but just on the supports for refugees and I know some people have an issue with that like I already saw somebody said when we're talking about the modular homes if those modular homes go in uh, will the Ukrainians that are staying there will they have to pay rent and I don't know uh, the answer to that I know they get social welfare support so I'm assuming they'll pay some sort of rent a little bit like anyone living on social welfare that you know they get HAP and that I'm assuming will they get something like that or is it free accommodation because it's coming out it's the OPW with the Department of Children and the Department of Integration that are paying for it I, I don't know I'll see if I can get an answer uh, to that because supports and accommodation for refugees seeking shelter in Ireland uh, according to all the papers today could be time limited and this is under proposals due to be considered by the government it's the cabinet committee on Ukraine they're meeting tomorrow and ministers are set to discuss obviously this shortage in national accommodation uh, and including those 
who are fleeing the war in Ukraine, but also for those that are coming looking for international protection. And a senior government source is quoted in The Times today as saying that in other European Union countries, there are time limits on supports, particularly when it comes to accommodation. And such measures will now be considered in terms of Ireland's policy response, because at the moment we've put no time limit. You know, we're saying to Ukrainians when they come, they're fleeing war. You know, people fully understand why they need to get out of their own country. But when they arrive in this country, they're not being told how long they can stay here. And seemingly, and I wasn't aware of that, but other European countries are putting people know when they arrive you're going to be allowed to stay here but this is the period of time in which you can stay here 0818 uh, 103 103 uh, John Paul is taking your calls and then Mossy in West Cork was on about a different issue that was on it's on our news I'm hearing Barry talking about it this morning and it's covered in a lot of the papers as well the news that there is the, sh- the shortage of medicines in pharmacies is getting worse Mossy says is this, is this just an Irish problem is it a European problem? Is it a worldwide problem? They are saying the cost of living was the problem to produce these medicines, but Irish pharmacies are more expensive than some of their European counterparts. I wonder, is this an Irish thing? No, it certainly isn't just uh, an Irish thing because I know the World Health Organization or the World Medical Organization, sorry, has come out and they have drawn up a list of critical medicines and what they're particularly worried about is there's a worldwide shortage, for example, of amoxicillin and penicillin uh, two antibiotics and there's also a particular shortage for one time of uh, one type of chronic leukaemia. But in this country, we're now at 228 medicines that are gone on the shortage lists that these are medicines that are not available some of the medicines that are short and are not available include codeine based products things like salpidine there's eye drops that are gone into short supply some ointment creams and ibuprofen is in short supply as well and the range of out of stock medicines went up by 16 in just three weeks and it's gone up by 41 since earlier this month. So it is a worldwide issue but there is a particular problem here in Ireland and that is to do with the amount of money we pay for some of our medicines and we are out of sync with other uh, countries. There's a price differential in Ireland in that we pay up to four times less than some of our neighbouring countries and as a result of that when medicine goes into short supply the pharmaceutical company that is making that medicine they simply follow the money and they go to the countries that are willing to pay more. So there's a kind of a call on the Irish government to say, look, we are out of sync. The Irish government needs to engage with the pharmaceutical uh, companies, particularly about the older out of stock uh, medicine. We pay, we certainly pay higher for the newer medicines, but it's the it's some of the older medicines that we're paying, paying less for. And there is a call that we need to look at sort of the basket of prices, which is paid by the other European countries and for us to try to pay some kind of an average and if we start paying higher for the medicines and we certainly won't have the shortage that we're having at the moment but Mossy the answer long-winded answer to you there Mossy but the basic answer to your question is no there is a worldwide uh, shortage and the countries that pay more for those drugs that are in short supply are the ones obviously that the pharmaceutical companies are dealing with 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
Dairy Gold Co-op Stores, they're recruiting yard and retail sales assistants and relief sales assistants. It's for various stores throughout Cork. They're also looking for a retail store manager for Fairmount in County Cork. You can call 087-189-8447. TIG Welder is wanted for a night shift in the Kinsale area. Night shift allowance will be paid. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A part-time night porter is required to work two to three nights per week in Mallow. CVs to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com or you can call Kieran at 022-58200. And Pat Enmite Glass and Glazing in Mallow. They're looking for window fitters and a general labourer. Call 022 50450. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now we know that wholesale gas prices are falling, but unfortunately it doesn't seem to be easing household budgets yet with the cost of living still troubling so many people. So to share five everyday tips to help us all save a little bit on our energy bills. I'm joined by energy expert Owen Clark of switcher.ie. Good morning to you Owen. Good morning. Uh, You're welcome to the programme. First of all are there any indications of when we'll start to see a fall in our energy bills? Uh, None as of yet. I mean it is good news that uh, wholesale gas rates are decreasing. I mean what what uh, households need to understand is that in, in most cases, energy suppliers buy energy in bulk in advance at a certain rate. So, for example, the, the, the energy that we're using today or maybe next month would have been purchased at a much higher rate months in advance. So that's typically why we don't see um, bills reducing in on the same day that, you know, it, it fluctuates in, in, in wholesale markets. So we'll certainly be looking probably for the most of this year before we start to see any fall. Yes, I would, I would think so. I think, you know, p- possibly later on in the year. I know there's obviously been um, some, some news in the media about the potential of giving households additional bill credits so we've, we've had a number of bill credits. I think we had €200 Euro in November, €200 in, Euro in, in January, and then we'll have another €200 Euro in March. They were, there was talk of extending that um, throughout the end of next year. That, that is an indication to me that we're not going to see bills come down to you know, significant reductions in bills, that households would still have to cope with large bills you know, potentially going into next winter. Yeah, actually, there's a question in on that. Could you ask Owen, does he think that the government will give additional credits after the May, April, the March, April ones uh, are, are done? It, 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 it's, it's very difficult to say categorically, but I know from, from the reports that it is being considered. And again, that is something that, you know, will be a big help to households. Again, depending on on the size of your house or the number of people in your house or your consumption and you know somebody living in a you know a small two-bedroom apartment would obviously have less consumption than you know four-bedroom house 
and that 200 euro bill credit can can go a long way now obviously it's only coming off your electricity bills and it's your gas bills especially when it's cold that are going to be you know quite sizable yeah and i've heard um Owen, and i'm sure you have as well some astronomical gas bills oh yeah yeah i, I mean we, we we you know we've we've heard of individual horror stories i mean i think the the, the advice to consumers is is uh, you know we we have had some cold spells. I think that makes it difficult as well. And I think, it's, you know, the age profile of the, the person as well, elderly people in particular need to be need to be kept warm. So, you know, it, it, heating has to be left on or else it can affect people's health. So it really is a, a conundrum where you're, you're stuck that, you know, these large bills are in some cases un, unavoidable. I, I think the things that you need to do is... is is firstly is make sure you're paying the cheapest possible rate for your gas and electricity. So a lot of people may have switched over, you know, the last year, year and a half, but you need to switch every 12 months to make sure that you're on the lowest discount because after a 12-month period, your contract ends, but also your introductory discount ends. So whereas you might have had, you know, 16% discount or maybe even 20% discount, and you know when your contract ends, that discount can can go down as low as zero. In some cases, you might get a, a recurring discount of maybe you know four percent or five percent uh, for being an existing customer. But still, you know there are discounts out there that are greater than that. So certainly, if you haven't switched within the year, definitely shop around. Yeah. A typical household at the moment can save about three hundred and eighty-three euro. And the next thing I'd say then is is insulation is to try and make your house as draft-free and as cosy as possible. So we're talking about closing your curtains and windows at night time to keep the heat in. Uh, we're talking about using draft excluders on doors. And then after that, really we're talking about, you know, <laughs> wearing an extra layer at home, you know, so you're not as cold. And then your consumption itself. So can you reduce your consumption you know, and that's and that's where you're you you've come up with five tips uh, that, that and and all of them are, are realistic and we, and we could do all of them. I mean, you start, for example, with um, laundry is the first one because that uses a lot of electricity. Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, it's, it's it, again, it depends on the individual household. I mean, if you've young children, obviously the, the the washing machine you know can be going sometimes every day. But it's about trying to manage that as well. And it's, you know, especially if you're on something like a smart meter where there's different rates for day, night and peak. If you can time your washing machine to come on at night time, you're using the, the nighttime race, which is the which is the cheaper race rather than, you know, doing your washing during peak hour where you'd be paying the peak rate. So as well as well, you know, is, is, is trying to, to, to manage the load as well. Um, in terms of how much you're putting into the washing machine and trying to use some of the energy efficient features on the washing machine as well. So again, it depends on on the type of device that you're using. But yeah, but make make sure that the machine is full when you're switching it on. None, none of these half loads. And one of the ones yeah. that I did, um, uh, and I'd never thought about it on, on, until this whole energy crisis. I've started setting the temperature at thirty degrees. I always thought, oh, the washing wouldn't wash properly unless I had it at forty or fifty degrees. And I've been yeah. doing my washing. At it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 30 degrees and the washing's perfect. Yeah, it, it, you'll, 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 get, you'll get the same outcome. I mean, it's, it still gets the same spin. It's still using the same detergents. It's just that, you know, it, it is going to consume less energy when it's at a lower a lower temperature because, you know, the, the, the water going into the machine, you know, the machine will, will uh, the washing machine will heat that water and obviously using more energy there. So, yeah, the lower temperature is, 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 is good advice and you'll still get the same outcome. Yeah, and that's both. the expensive part is actually heating up the water. Do I, yeah. do I take it you wouldn't be a fan of the tumble dryer, Owen? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, personally, I don't have one. Okay. Uh, but again, yes, they're, they're heavy on consumption. So I think the thing is, is that, you know, it's fantastic during the, you know, spring and, and summer months where, you know, we can do all these things outside, but... You know, as I said, it depends on where you're living. If you, you have a bigger space, you might have a room where you're able to air clothes inside. Um, but, you know, if you're in a smaller apartment, you may need to use a tumble dryer. Or if you're in an emergency where, you know, your your kids need, for example, sports clothes for the next day or mm. school uniforms. Yeah. Sometimes it's unavoidable. But again, it's just trying to, I suppose, it's an education process within within the house about where we're using the most consumption and, you know, right down to turning off devices at night time. And then there's obviously cooking as well. So, you know, every time you use your oven, there's a cost associated with that. You know, can you batch cook meals? Can you use things like uh, slow cookers that are uh, cheaper than a conventional cooker? So it's, it's really about trying to reduce the consumption. And as I say, if you're... If you if you have a smart meter and you're paying like a what's called a time of use tariff or a day night peak tariff, trying to use your energy during the the non peak times where you're paying a lower rate. Okay, somebody said I switched over to an air fryer. Uh, I can't believe how I've seen my electricity costs go down. Plus, not yeah. using the oven. Yes, exactly. I, I, again, you know, I think it's a, it, it works out at about. One euro twenty nine for every time that you use like a conventional oven, and I think things like air fryers and because they're plugged in an air fryer and in particular 
things like a slow cooker, it's like 16 cents for five hours of, of, of use. So it's it's a lot less when you're using, um, you know, a non-conventional, when you're using a conventional oven, it's, it's, it's more expensive. So the things about the air fryer is obviously they're hugely popular in Ireland at this moment in time. But typically an air fryer, um, if something was needed to be required to be cooked at 200 degrees, an air fryer could probably do it at 180, but it would also do it in less time as well. Mm. So something that might have taken 35 minutes in a conventional oven might only take 25 minutes at a lower temperature in, a, in an air fryer. So again, it's another reason why you're consuming less energy. Yeah, and yeah, and we'll use we'll use less electricity uh, as well. Now, the, the the big one, and I know this becomes arguments in all households, uh, whether to you know having something on standby, switching it off, uh, you, you, a ditcher switch. <laughs> yeah, I I I'm, I mean I mean you you've got to turn off all devices. Um, you know you you know if there's um. If there's a switch on the socket, you can switch off the socket. Obviously, if not, you need to plug out the device. But, you know, again, depending on the same size of the household, there may be households that have two televisions. They have speakers. They have Alexa devices. They've got game consoles. Um, you know, you've you've got other devices within the kitchen that are plugged in. And the reality is you're not using them for large periods of the day. So... You know, you would switch them off uh, when you're not using them. And again, over the course of a year, you know, that, that could save, depending on how many devices, it could be, you know, a couple of hundred euro over the space of the year. So it's well worth doing it. Yeah, somebody's asked about dishwashers. How heavy are dishwashers on electricity? They're as, nearly as bad as washing machines, are they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, I mean, probably the biggest ones within the when we said the washing machine obviously tumble dryer and and dishwasher and again dishwasher the advice is don't go for the half loads don't go for the small loads try and use the device just once and again set the right temperatures as well and if it can be timed to come on again this relates to if you're on a time of use tariff but you know if it can be timed to come on at a, at a during the day or late at night not at a peak time Okay, uh, Jenny says her energy saving tip is invest in a good thermos flask. Uh, Jenny boils the kettle first thing in the morning, fills up the flask. That flask will keep her going all day for teas and uh, coffees, whereas before she was constantly turning on the, the kettle. That's a good tip. It is a great tip. Um, another one to add to that is that, you know, we are a nation of tea lovers yeah. uh, and coffee. And, you know, if you're, you know, by yourself and you just, you're having one cup of tea, just boil the exact water that you need. Obviously, if you have a full kettle, it's going to take longer and use more energy to boil that kettle. But if you're just having the one cup of tea, just boil, boil what you need yeah, and boil, it'll be, and it'll be quicker. And, and obviously, if you need to buy a new uh, appliance, just be you know very careful about what you're buying and, and upgrade to the most energy efficient. And there's so many energy efficient appliances now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the A ratings and the ratings will be on um, the latest devices. And I think, as you said, that's the good news. Any any of these newer devices have to be of a certain standard. So you could, you know, again, it always it's great to read through the manual. It's great to ask advice if you're buying something in store. You know, what, what, what grade is this product? 
uh, how efficient is this product? What features does it have? If, for example, does it have eco-wash if it's a washing machine? But they would be definitely things to look out for. But I think the thing is, is that all the newer devices, they nearly have them guaranteed mm. that they have to be a certain standard. Yeah. OK, Owen, a mine of information as always. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Welcome. Good, Good morning, morning to you. Bye bye. That is Owen Clark of switcher.ie. Uh, uh, somebody says Owen's tip is to make sure that the washing machine is filled up. Uh, the listener says if the machine is full of clothes, the clothes end up coming out full of wrinkles. And therefore, you've got to iron. A dryer also prevents condensation. So that's somebody who doesn't like to overfill the washing machine and certainly is in favour of using a clothes dryer. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, Breakthrough Cancer Research, which is a Cork-based medical research charity that funds the most innovative cancer research, is hosting a very special lunch at the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. It's happening on Saturday, the 11th of February. Now, to chat about the event and the importance of the work of Breakthrough Cancer Research, I'm delighted to be joined by Orla Dolan, who is uh, the chief executive. Good morning to you, Orla. Good morning, Patricia. And great, and great to talk to you. You've lined up quite a special afternoon. I mean, you've got some great guest speakers. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, the MC for the event is uh, Dear Joe Shockmacy, and she's MC'd events for us before, so she's fab. Um, she's editor of the Irish Examiner. But then the much-loved TV presenter Mary Kennedy is joining us and also Mary Black, the singer. So, you know, it's really um, a lot of amazing people in the room. And because it's a luncheon, are numbers limited, Orla? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of we're getting up to where we'll have to close the doors, yeah. um, which is a great thing. But we still have a few seats left, but we're really excited and happy that we've got, like, you know, well over 150 people coming already so Brilliant. that have booked tickets. So, you know, so it's sure to be a really lovely afternoon. And, uh, you know, in the middle of February, sometimes we're looking for something, um, you know, new to do um, as, as spring is around the corner. You yeah. Know? And is it is it kind of a, a lady that luncheons event or are the men folk welcomed? The men folk are welcome <laughs> and we definitely have some who've booked. Although, you know, I think the goodie bags that are coming, which are fab, by the way, yeah. are definitely more oriented, probably, I'd say, towards the ladies in the in the audience. Okay. But uh, no, it's open to all, and you know, really, it's not a specific like you know, kind of got a fashion or just any element like that. It's just you know, an opportunity to come out and and you know, be with people, um, have a lovely meal, sumptuous three course meal. You know, there's musical entertainment. There'll be little stalls beforehand that people can do during the drinks reception. So, and obviously, a fantastic um, raffle, and all for a good cause. So, yeah, I think yeah. you know, just a nice way to spend the day. And that's that. That's what it's all all about. Is much of your work funded by fundraising? A hundred percent of it is. Um, so, literally, we start every year in January with zero, um, um, and have to raise it all from the start. Now we are smart about what we do with our funding and then we'll try and leverage that for other money later so we'll try and say we want to do this project and get match funding from other places but really we couldn't do anything that we do without the support of the public and we're incredibly um you know humbled and inspired by that all the time because it we're a hundred percent supported by generosity and it's incredible that's incredible yeah yeah it's incredible when you look at the work that you've done over the years that it's all from fundraise money yeah, and I mean, I suppose we look at it as uh, like having a kind of a privileged space in the middle where we take the generosity of the public and then we channel that into like these cutting edge projects. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes we're actually going after the cancers that are often left behind that mightn't get the same, um, I suppose, attention um, that others would, um, but really need to see improvement. And, uh, and, uh, and we kind of take on that role really seriously. And then we do have very robust kind of processes. So, like, if somebody in, you know, Skibbereen gives us a tenor, we want to make sure that that's going into a project that's really going to make a difference, that's really going to try and find a better way to treat cancer, try and find a smarter or a kinder way to, to turn around a cancer that mightn't have a lot of options. And um, and so we put it through a big mechanism, and that's why I think we've been so successful and that we've taken a lot of treatments kind of out of the lab and out to patients that need them because um, we're picking the best of the best to really take it on. Yeah, and I always think that's one of the things that makes you uh, stand out, the fact that you, uh, you you know, you place a lot of your work on cancers that are poorly served by uh, current treatment options. And it's so important that we put research into those types of cancer. Absolutely. I mean, look, the great news that we have is that because of investment in research, certain cancers like breast and prostate cancer, you know, have huge improvements in survival. And so, you know, breast cancer is, is up in the 90% survival now and, and prostate is even higher. But you have other cancers, you know, that have not seen the same improvement, like pancreatic, um, which is, is 9 or 10% survival, or lung cancer, which is like 15 to 17. So they're, they are harder to come after, but that just means we have more work to do. And we can see the same changes in those, but that's why we kind of say, look, we need to push the, you know, the amazing support to the public into the places where it's really needed to kind of change that. And the research that you fund, where does that research go on? Well, predominantly it happens in the island of Ireland. So, look, I mean, we started out, we're based in Cork and we have a huge amount of research that happens in this region because um, because of the fact that we have a history here. So what you'd find is you have, you know, clinicians or oncologists and surgeons who work in a hospital setting and they're generally working with a person who works in a university or academic setting and come together. And then we take the input also of people who've had a lived experience of cancer and add that in as well, because, you know, you need to, you need that element all the way through. So it's happening in UCC, Trinity, UCD, so we're, um, and even later, um, later this month, we'll be starting some programs in Queens. And I suppose we look at who is doing the best research in this area and then how can we get money into them? And then we also try and encourage them all to be working with each other, you know, so that they're, you know, that, that they're not repeating what other people are doing. It's the combined talent of all those scientists to really move things forward. Will, will we ever get to a day where cancer will be no more, Orla? Yeah, I don't know if we get to a point where we'll not have any cancer because it's, it is it's surprising to people but it is a disease of aging in that our, as our systems and our bodies break down and we build up these kind of mutations we are all likely to get it if we live long enough but where we do see it is that it won't be something that we die from that we will mm. have a good effective treatment for anybody who does get it we will find ways to prevent it in the first place or catch it really early I mean that's you know we always do better if people are caught early but for those who go on to develop it in a bigger way, we will also have better treatments. And I think so then it won't be something that is to be scared of. It'll just be something like one of the kind of things that you get along the way. And that's where that's what I think that future is in our grasp, but only if we invent it. And, and I think research is the way that you go make that future happen. Yeah. And I mean, already, you know, we're, we're seeing such breakthroughs because of organisations like you. I mean, once upon a time, 
even to say on, uh, you know, me doing this program, even to mention the word cancer was the big C. It was one of those things. It was even hard to discuss it because if anybody got a diagnosis, they were always almost be measured immediately for the coffin. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, again, 4% of our population are now considered cancer survivors, over 200,000 people. And that's people who've had a diagnosis, but it's in the rear view mirror. And it's something they can, they've walked away from at the end. And I think, you know, that's what we have to look to everybody. I know in my own experience, so it's the last of my own father, like the day that he was diagnosed was awful and it was a word you didn't want to hear. But then you're on a journey. What is the treatment? What are we going to do? How will we know if it's working? But the day they bring you in and tell you that everything they've thrown at isn't going to work is the most devastating day. And that's Mm. the day that research is to take away, to make sure that whoever is diagnosed, that there's something there that can save their life. And I'm telling you, everybody in here is ultra committed to keeping going until we we find that day and deliver it for everyone. Well done. And you've got uh, clinical trials doing well at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we've the most recent clinical trial that's opened is for people who were current standard chemo stops working for them and they've unlocked the reason why and then they've come up with combinations that seem to be able to overcome that. And even a few months ago, we met some people who were treated maybe five, six years ago with treatments that were developed right here in Cork. And, you know, they had metastatic disease, like spread of the disease in their lung and their liver and things were looking really bleak. And they are multiple years later and completely cancer clear. And that's because something that was invented in a lab, thought about it, supported by people who came to lunches and trashings and all sorts of things that raised money. And, and that delivered a completely different outcome for somebody. And I think that's something to be inspired it's fantastic. by. fantastic. It, it really is fantastic. And of course, as you mentioned, your your dad, the wonderful uh, Professor Jerry O'Sullivan, that so many people were, have such fond uh, memories of him. And your, the organisation was started uh, with, with your dad. I mean, he'd be so proud, Orla, today, wouldn't he, that, that the work is continuing and that you and your brother Owen are continuing it. Yeah, I think, look, for us, I mean, it is, a you know, he had an amazing vision and we're proud to keep that vision going. And I think um, in some ways it keeps him still with us because yeah. I, I suppose his life was dedicated to saving people and an organization that he founded and got going, you know, um, you know, it still exists and is still making that difference. And so for us, um, it's really something to be proud of uh, from our side as well to keep that legacy and that kind of approach to changing the future still going you know yeah and he was a proud West Cork man as well so it's great to see and I know there's a lot of fundraising goes on in West Cork a huge amount I mean every year we're inspired and motivated by it I think he had such affection for the people of West Cork and used to go down every weekend just to meet and kind of almost immerse himself it was like coming home all the time (laughs) and I think um that is shared back, um, you know, like we're just every year just kind of blown away by the, the continuation of it, especially because, you know, he, he passed away now. Um, it'll be 11 years later. This, yes, um, 11 years, yeah, goodness. It'll be, yeah, so that, that launch is the 11th and his anniversary is the 12th of ah, February, so... Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Okay. so it's the 11th of February in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen and tickets are still available, but limited and you can get them through through your good selves. Yeah, so um, onto our website, BreakthroughCancerResearch.ie or call 021-422-6655 and ask for Mary. Okay, and I can hear a dog. You're not in a kennel. Is that your dog trying to get out? (laughs) 
there's a there's a small puppy in the office today who's given out that nobody's letting oh. him out here now. So he was very good for the first five minutes. You know? I, th- I think he might need to go to the loo. You better bring him I out. Think, I think so. I think. Orla, so. pleasure as always. Thanks a million. Thanks, Thanks for joining so us. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is the lovely Orla Dolan, uh, CEO of Breakthrough Cancer Research, continuing the, the fantastic work that was started by her late dad. As I say, so many people have such fond, fond memories of Professor Jerry O'Sullivan and the amazing work that he did at working here in Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. You can see a number of texts coming in and comments coming in on the various topics that we've been addressing and I will get to those but I want to go back to what actually started the programme with this morning when I mentioned about the advocacy group Care Champions they held a conference in Dublin yesterday and it was a chance for people who had either worked in nursing homes or had a a family member who passed away in a nursing home during, particularly during the early days of uh, COVID-19 and also at this conference we heard from uh, an elderly gentleman who was still a patient of a nursing home just talking about how traumatic it was for him uh, not to be able to see his wife or his children or grandchildren uh, not being able uh, to come in but you know we heard and mentioned you know a care worker uh, talking about just the effect of not having visitors and what went on in nursing homes and there wasn't enough staff and Anne has contacted us because just by me mentioning it it's brought a lot of memories back uh, for Anne this morning. Good morning Jan. Uh, good afternoon. Um, yeah. Good afternoon. Yeah, I, I know I spoke with you um, before on on this topic because it was your late mother who found herself in a nursing home. That's the, right. It was the or, was this the early days of the pandemic? It certainly was, Patricia. It certainly was. It was um, uh, twenty. Mark. Oh, well, she died in, in the eighteenth of April, twenty twenty. Very early um, days. Very yeah, early. Days. Very early. So days. we were in lockdown. Nobody was allowed into oh. nursing homes. Unbelievable, uh, Patricia. And um, this took a blur. I admire the person, um, and I think someone needs to fight for these people. They were parents. They were mothers, fathers. And um, you know, we were starting or beginning our sixth week without seeing our mother. For um, a woman that saw three, there was eight in the family. Saw three of us every day, Patricia. And she had. We had routines. She had routines. And then for all this to be just stopped. What, and like even that that man this morning was talking about the loneliness, not being able to see his wife and children. I know that has really put a thorn in my side. Saying, "Top of my mother, thinking, where were we gone?" And, and did she ha- did she have an understanding, Anne, of what was going on? She did. In in a sense, she did. She did. But you'd ring her Patricia, every day. We'd ring her and you'd say, "Ma'am, how things, whatever." And she she says, "Where are you?" Ugh. You know, Patricia, and like. My mother was a woman that was, she was a homemaker. If she wasn't washing, cleaning all the time until she wasn't able to do so. My mother, you know, she was homeschooled. And you'd have to say, oh, ma'am, I'm very busy. I'll be on later. I'm just the other in the washing. And she'd love that, knowing you were walking. I know, I <laughs> you know, know, I know. It, it, was a, it was cruel. I it was cruel. It was cruel for us, the family. But what, was, what, was, what were they going through inside? And, and I'm being very honest and I'm being very cross. We don't know how they were treated. I'm sorry. Yeah, and that's that. That I think is everybody's fear. Is absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's as I said, St. Paul, accountability. That's what people need. They took the elderly's lives into the palm of their hands, and our like us as a family, they held us hostage. That's the way I look at it. 
they held us as hostage. We couldn't access to see our dying mother. And that has to live with us for the rest of our lives. And did you, did, did you know that her days were numbered and that it was coming to an end? Patricia, it happened so fast. You know, accountability has lost the, has lost the answer to. It happened so fast. We would rinse and we kept um, notes on what we were being told. And Eileen, my sister, would bring and she'd say, oh, she was up. I'd bring, oh, she had a nice lunch. And then I got a phone call. Initially, within, and the following, every day, but Monday, Tuesday, I go with my niece and they said, your mother's taking a turn. Like, from being up, it just happened so fast. And um, she, she told us over the phone, we have to, um, and I'd be said over, it, it, it was heartbreaking. We had to nominate two to see our mother. One in the morning, one in the evening. We were only allowed two. And, what, and one at a time, the two weren't allowed. One, no, one, at, one at a time, one at a time, Patricia. And we had to, I mean, we had to fight to, to stay on longer. I mean, you'd walk down and you could be so, I mean, I went in my first day, I was told for like this, and you have to leave. Now, if they said my mother was in the fight, I had to leave my mother. The hardest thing you have to do is walk away. Absolutely cruel. It was cruel. There's no good thing. And I empathise for us, but for other families, Patricia, that have gone through this. And I'm sorry, nursing homes are lost. There are great places we need to be. But I go back against my mother's um, room, or down the end of the corridor, Felicity. Down the end of the corridor. There was an emergency door just on the right hand side. They could have left the rest of her, her sons and daughters in. And she was in a room on her own? In a room, on her own. So don't, Patricia, I, I can't. And I, was, was anybody with her at the end, Anne? Well, no, you see, we're told, yes. But, but I, in my heart, I'm going to tell you, no. Mm. I have no evidence, but I'm going to tell you, no. None of the family were, were there? None of us. Oh, no. none of us, Patricia. None of us. She died on no. a Saturday. And I was heading up Saturday morning with my sister who was driving me up just we were told that, you know, that, that the last uh, few days, they couldn't give a time, but, you know, she was, her breathing, oh, her breathing hadn't changed. Half four, Friday night, her breathing hadn't changed. I rang at half four, eight o'clock, I rang, they said, you know, that was our, our time, that we'd know, they'd know better. Eight o'clock, no change. And at ten to ten, I got a phone call, and I was just ready to get into my sister's car. As blunt as you like, what she said was, and Francis has passed away. Just like that. And you know, I, I know in my heart, and I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think my mother died. No. Oh, but, but I, and, and, and I know it's it's hard to not think of it that way, but try not well, to. Try, try well, you know, Patricia, yeah. we're very strong, yeah. but for a woman that loved her prayer. And as she got older, you know, the rose of her rose of was locked onto her. And to know that she wasn't, she wasn't even a ninth, Patricia. The priest announced her off the phone on that Friday while I was there. And I put the sign, the sign across my mother's forehead. And I just, you know, sometimes I sit back and I laugh and I say, God, she knew she wasn't a ninth. She'd kill us. She'd kill us. Oh, no. I know, they were that, that, that generation. You know, they were, yeah, they were that generation. You know, she's never preached, you know. 
that my horse. I'm, my apologies. That's my horse. I spoke Anne, with, with, horse. with a lady whose uh, mother died uh, again similar to what you're talking about but yes. she was outside a window I lo- read it on the examiner committee I read it on my, on my phone yeah. clawing at the window and I she mean, but she spoke about the guilt she yes. now lives with yes yes never um, the guilt first of putting her into the home that's the first thing that's the first thing at family has to accept or I don't know but that is huge guilt and that's something I can't speak for the rest of the family but I know from myself it's my huge guilt but you had no choice I know I know but it's a huge guilt and that's something that every family and I've, I know several families that their parents are now in nursing homes and that's what they say you have mm. to walk in pretend hello hello but you have to turn around you have to turn your back and walk away that's, that is. That's I mean, thing. grieving, grieving the loss of a much yeah. loved mother is hard enough without yes, all. all. So, so I take it you would one hundred percent back oh. back care champions. They want By, a, a, a public well, inquiry. Tell you for nothing. If I, I, I swear, I, if I can do anything, and as long as I have a fighting spirit in my body, I will get answers, and I really, really will. I got the morning my mother passed away. I got into my car because I was so upset. I got into my car and I drove up. I won't say where. I drove up that road. I couldn't see the road. Um, pretty sure with the tears running down my, my eyes. I couldn't see that road. It's a, it's a journey I'll never ever. Um, I can't even remember it. And I went to that door. I was abused. But I didn't leave because I said, my mother is my mother and I want to see her. I was asked after exactly 12 minutes to leave my mother's room. No. Patricia, that's a hard thing to This follow. was after she'd pa- this is after she'd passed. Yes. Oh God. Yes, Patricia. Oh the insensitivity of it is just I was asked to leave. And the manager I can't say too much because I know I, I won't name names, but that manager came in and he was too polite Oh and mother just passed away. And he said, Oh I'm sorry. Um, I can't take hands to you. And he walked into the office. I wasn't after a cup of tea. Nothing. It's tough. It's tough. And then, the, and then the, the funeral. Did you have to have a COVID funeral? Oh, it's shocking. Yeah. Oh, it's just shocking. Shocking, shocking, shocking. Unbelievable. We couldn't even follow her funeral car. She was down from the nursing home. She came down on her own. No, that's something that you will never, ever, ever leave you. Never, ever, ever leave you. And I... Do you want to sound like a broken record? She's gone three years. But if I could have one second. Just one second. That's all. She knew she knew we loved her. Yeah. She knew she knew always we loved her. To know that she closed her eyes without without just saying, you know, we're fine. Go. That to me I and they, you know, it's no good someone telling you, oh, she was, you know, we don't know if she's in conscious or, you know, it's hard to know, really. You know, when you're there, it's just that 
lovely final journey that you just say. Well, you hear of go. people, you hear of people talking about somebody having a beautiful death and they were Absolutely. surrounded by their Absolutely. loved ones and people held their hand and say, you oh, know, it's yes. okay, it's and okay to go, ma'am. You know, we're here with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you'll it's, hear that. it's beyond cruel. It's, it's just, it's just, beyond cruel. It you really know, is. You can say, no one, no one deserves death. And I know plenty of no one knew what was down the road. But like, they had, had the clue. I'm sorry, they had the clue. They shut nursing homes. They killed the people themselves that hadn't COVID. That I, in my heart, know my mother died of a broken heart. Because in her head, where was I know, I know. Even yeah, it's where hard, was hard for that older generation even to understand what was going They're on. Five weeks, where were we? That's you know, oh. I thought that is no good. Listen, That's your your story is absolutely heartbreaking, and I can it see is. a lot of people just yes. saying, yes. you know, how brave you are to talk about it, and how people are thinking I'm not of brave. you. No, no, not brave, Patricia. I won no gold medal. I've been through enough oh. hardship and sorrow in in my life at this stage, but I, I will. Stand up and let keep. I will keep fighting. And if anything can come out of this, I think people will have that talking. Okay, listen, we'll yep. t- we'll, we, we will talk again uh, for sure. Yeah, and in the meantime, absolutely. I appreciate that and thank you for sharing, yeah. sharing I know, that. I know, and I, I really uh, enjoy, your, I enjoy oh, all your seats. Well, no, well I, I, you know. I hate to think of you upset. Have you Have you anybody yeah. there with you or can you go anywhere? No, I'm actually, no, I'm actually heading to work now. Oh, so are I'm you? Looking, okay. I'm looking okay. forward to it. All so, right, God so, bless. Look after yourself. I will. Thank Thanks you. a million. Bye-bye. People saying I'm in tears listening to that lady. Uh, God help her. And there's so many other families, unfortunately, uh, can identify with what Anne and Anne's family had to go to. Somebody says, I've experience of a nursing home. Um, uh, I saw what went on. They have a lot to answer for the way some of the patients uh, were treated. And that's the reason that Advocacy Care, um, the advocacy group Care Choice, are saying we need an immediate public inquiry into the treatment of older people in uh, residential care. I think particularly in those early days of uh, COVID and I know the nursing homes will say you know nobody knew what was going on we we did we had to do lockdowns and, and all of this but it was the effect that it had on elderly people and particularly those that passed away and it's beyond cruel uh, to listen to Anne uh, talk about what she went through and lives with it today I mean that's the worst part people are living with that uh, trauma 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie the Mallow Community Health Project, they're looking for volunteers to help Syrian families to integrate into the Mallow community and to improve their conversational English. More information, you can contact the Syrian Befriending Programme Coordinator, Pauline, on 87 The Forestry Owners Cooperative are inviting all the farming community, especially young farmers and all in the farming forestry sector, to a discussion forum with Senator Tim Lombard. It's on tonight at 7 in Brook Park Business Centre. That's in Dunmanway. Bingo continues in Butterman tomorrow night, Tuesday, 8 o'clock, with a jackpot of €3,700. And if you're in Shambhalimore, they also have bingo on tomorrow night. They've got a jackpot, very same, €3,700.
with an eight o'clock start. And Anam Cara will meet in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs on this Wednesday, St. Bridget's Day. 7.15, they welcome all bereaved parents, regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of their death. And it is a free event. And Canturk Flower and Garden Club are meeting on Wednesday, 8 o'clock in the Temperance Hall on Strand Street in Canturk. Guest speakers from New Leaf Store. And they'll speak on joint mobility and healthy immunity. Admission 5 euro and all are welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Some of your calls and comments coming in on a variety of issues that we've been discussing today. Earlier this morning, we spoke about homework and this all got kicked off by Michael D. Higgins last week, was addressing some children and he felt that when children come home, they should be using their time for creative activities. And uh, he was uh, suggesting, don't know if it quite went as far as a ban on homework, but he reckons that uh, homework, what's done in school, the academic work should happen within the confines of the school building. And then when children go home, they should be allowed to be more creative. And actually, it's been backed up by Leo Varadkar, who was asked about it earlier this morning. And he feels as well, he thinks homework needs to be looked at and feels it should be banned. And he said he's even going to speak to the um, education minister, Norma Foley, about it. So it really is starting to take legs. Uh, Some of your commentary in, though, on homework. Hi, Patricia. I'm a 71-year-old looking after my four grandchildren, 12, 10, 8 and 5, both parents working full-time. That's a busy household for you. So it's down to me to do the homework with them when they come in uh, in the afternoon after school. To be honest, Patricia, I love my four grandchildren to bits, but I'm starting to dread them arriving home in the afternoons it can be very stressful and that's not how it should be. Why can't the schoolwork be done in class from say 2.15 until 3pm and then let the children be children after school? Their day is long enough without having to bring all the additional work home and that's from uh, Eileen. And then Bridie says, Patricia, my grandchildren in Canada never get homework. If they get an assignment then they're given a number of days or a number of weeks and told you need to get that completed in this particular time frame. Compared to my grandchildren, Here in Ireland, uh, they don't have heavy school bags. Also, my grandchildren here return from school on the school bus roughly one to one and a half hours after leaving school. They have some dinner and then it's off to do their homework. It's absolutely ridiculous. It'll be be very interesting, says Bridie, to see how the Canadian grandchildren and the Irish grandchildren get on in life. Let us know on that one, Bridie, because you'll be able to make a direct comparison between one group of children who got a lot of homework and another group of children who didn't get any homework and you'll be able to see exactly how they got on. Now we were talking thank you for that, we were talking with Owen Clark of switcher.ie on energy saving advice and one of the pieces of advice he gave was if you're looking at things like the washing machine, the dishwasher, the tumble dryer to put it on at night, particularly if you've got a smart meter and you've got energy saving at night, well a whole slew of people have been on including Colin and Bottom and said I'd be very careful about leaving appliances on overnight as your insurance expert Paul Paul Kavanagh has often specified on your slot that some of these appliances, they say, do not leave unattended. He also, during one of his talks, spoke about checking with your insurance. So it might be worth looking into that. Uh, that's from Cullum in uh, Botterford. Someone else says, Patricia, it's very dangerous to leave a washing machine on at night. That advice should not be given. I know as my dryer went on fire. I was lucky it was during the daytime and I was in the house at the 
time that it happened. Uh, so uh, it averted a major disaster. Deirdre says, I, Patricia, comment on using home appliances at night. A member of the fire service advised me years ago never to switch on an appliance, especially the clothes dryer at night when everyone is in bed in case they do go on fire. You can still be energy conscious. Uh, otherwise, I always heed that advice. Love your programme. Thank you for that. And someone else says, uh, Patricia, listening to Owen and how much, this is Margaret, listening to Owen and how much it costs for the washing machine. I do 15 washes a week. That's that's over two a day. That's a busy household, uh, Margaret. But in fairness, I think what Owen was saying was to use the night time. I, I, I don't think, I think if I got back onto him again, he would be heeding that advice as well about not going into bed and switching on any of those appliances. The dryer in particular, because you need to make sure that you clean out the lint on the dryer. That's the thing that could go on uh, fire. But everybody says that. I mean, I think evening time, if you're on one of those smart tariffs, whereby the evening time might kick in from, say, seven, eight o'clock in the evening. So while you're sitting watching the TV or whatever, you can have your, your washing machine, your dishwasher, or you can have your your um, dryer on and it's outside of the peak and the peak I know normally is is that sort of morning rush hour and again in the evening time it's anything between four it was between five and seven but I think that peak in the evening now has gone to between four and seven that's the time we're advised if we can to cut back on as much electricity uh, use usage that we can but thank you for all your calls and comments on that I can see a lot of questions coming in for Annalise Thank you for that on houses and the building of modular houses. Somebody says the way they are building these housing estates at the moment, I think a third of the bills should be for local people. It will be so much better because you'd be able to integrate people that way. And a number of people are saying that rather than having just estates just for Ukrainian people. How good it, you know, that's not going to be great when it comes to uh, integration. Hi, Patricia. Could you say well done, please, to Sean O'Neill for winning his score yesterday at Fisher's Cross against Jim Hayes and also can you give a shout out to Jim Hayes and say it was great to see Jim back bowling after such a long time thank you for that there's no name on that but congratulations to Sean O'Neill on his win Jim says Patricia I don't know if you or anybody else are fed up with the TV programmes at the moment we have so many channels and we seem to be spoiled for choice. But Jim says every time I switch on, it seems to be repeat after repeat that we have to endure. And when we were young, what the hell did we do for entertainment? Did we ever complain? Never. Did we complain that the archers, archers was useless when listening to it on the radio? Our Mrs. Dale's diary <laughs> was a repeat. I don't know either of those programmes, but they obviously they're radio programmes, are they? No, we watched the fire flickering as man put another shovel of coal on or we went out to play or we chatted to a person who might be passing by. The trouble with today is we've got so much and yet we just seem to want, want so much more. I have to agree with the TV. Sometimes you can be flicking around the TV and there is like, you, you get to the stage where you think there's absolutely nothing to watch on TV even with all of the channels. And I certainly am of that generation. I remember when we got the second terrestrial channel, when we only had RT, and then we got our network two, as it was called at the time, and the, the excitement of having two uh, channels. This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
we're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic where Annalise Dressel joins us on this uh, blast of sunshine coming in my window at the moment. It'll be sunny afternoon. Good afternoon to Annalise. Good afternoon Patricia. And, and you are very welcome. Okay, questions uh, coming in. Oh, firstly, there was one, if I can get to another, there was a lot came in earlier on, if I can find this question cause, uh, from Martin to say, Hi Patricia, would you please ask An- Annalise, what is officially a balanced diet? We hear so often about balanced diets but what exactly is a balanced diet? Yeah well a balanced diet I suppose contains exactly enough of all of the proteins, carbohydrates and fats that your body needs to do its job stay healthy, support its immune system without putting on weight and then all the vitamins and minerals for the same reason you know for the set that your body needs for the same thing. The difficult thing I suppose Patricia is that there is a kind of what they call an RDA, which is the recommended daily allowance for vitamins and minerals for people. But some people need more than others. Um, you might need more than one of, of your B vitamins, for example, and magnesium if you're going through a very stressful and busy time. You might need more vitamin B12 because you're very poor at absorbing. You might need more calcium because you're on a stomach um, tablet that's blocking your absorption of calcium. So um, it's it's kind of... It is a personal thing, really, a balanced diet. But if people want to know what the best diet to follow is, just Google the Mediterranean diet and follow that as closely as possible because time and time again, it comes up in all of the studies that the Mediterranean diet is best for heart health, to prevent asthma, to prevent Alzheimer's, to prevent allergies. Um, and it is a kind of a, it's a very much a, a, an enjoyable diet with huge variety as well. So that would probably, if you just follow the Mediterranean diet, you should be getting all the nutrients you need in the right amount. And it's a, it, that's a balanced diet then. Okay. Uh, Carmel wants to know, what is the best supplement to take for bone density? So the, that's a very good question, actually, Patricia. And I had a, a lady ring in as well about this, who had been taking a bone support supplement, but her DEXA scan score was still poor so even though she was taking a good a supplement it didn't work for her so bone density we build our bones really up until the age of about 21 22 so our nutrition and exercise throughout our younger years are very important because that's what builds up the density of our bone and then throughout the rest of our lives our bones are kind of losing calcium and putting new calcium down so basically they're kind of remodeling themselves i think every seven years the bone has been completely model remodeled so for some people that might be vitamin d deficient calcium deficient if they're not doing exercise if they've got a very acidic uh, diet which is a very high meat kind of high sugar diet if they don't do weight bearing exercise you can develop osteoporosis and women especially after menopause because estrogen has a protective effect are much more inclined to, to develop osteoporosis. So a good bone supplement should have things in there like calcium, um, but not a huge amount because I believe that calcium is easy to get from the diet and if you have too much, it can increase your risk of heart disease. So an, a nice amount of calcium, but also magnesium, boron, a little bit of vitamin C. Vitamin K2 is very important to get the calcium onto your bone. And uh, then the type of calcium can make a difference as well. So you're looking for something that's either calcium citrate or calcium that's coming from, uh, like algae is a very easily absorbed one. You also need to do weight-bearing exercise. And if you're on a stomach tablet, you probably need to take your calcium support 
um, bone support well away from it because it does affect the, your ability to absorb calcium from your diet. Um, and if you're still not building healthy bone, there's definitely something else going on. Generally, I think it's an issue with absorption for people personally, Patricia. OK, here's one I had to Google because I didn't know what it was. Question for Antides. Any vitamins to take after a vasovagal reaction following a blood donation? The person faints after giving blood. Oh, OK. <laughs> never well, heard of that before. It's called vasovagal. Oh, well, I've never heard the name yeah, of it. Yeah, occur- it occurs when you faint because your body overreacts to certain triggers such as the sight of blood or extreme emotional distress. Yeah, well, I think probably, I've definitely heard people fainting or feeling queasy or faint at the sight of blood for sure, Patricia, but I never knew the name for it. Yeah. So look, I think if you, if you want to give blood and uh, that's going to happen, maybe taking something before you go in to make you feel a bit calmer uh, would help like L-theanine or the cannabis oil. It shouldn't affect the blood either, you know, the quality of the blood that you're giving. I think afterwards, it's just probably very important to um, to hydrate yourself. And I know caffeine is very good to take, which is why they say the sweet cup of tea, because caffeine would help um, sort of increase your heart rate slightly. So it would pump the blood back around the organs again and kind of, you know, give them a fresh flow of blood to re-nourish them after being Mm. knocked out. So that's all I can think of. But I don't think there's any magic answer to stop it from happening. And there's nothing much to think I think think because obviously we're encouraging people to give blood because uh, blood donation, the stocks are are gone low. Um, But but perhaps say it the next time and, you know, because the staff there are fantastic at the blood donor clinics. Absolutely, and maybe yeah. just stay on the bed a little bit yeah. longer afterwards yeah. too, don't yeah. get up. OK, hi. I wondered, does, would Annalise have any cure for tendinitis and also what is the cause of it? OK, so tendinitis, anything itis, Patricia, is inflammation. So tendinitis is inflammation of the tendons and it can be excruciatingly painful. Some people would get it in their shoulders, like that's kind of part of the whole frozen shoulder thing. Um, and the tendons actually help attach our muscles to our bones. Um, so, you know, any time that you, you need to move your arm and the tendon is pulling, if it's inflamed, it will be very painful. So the normal thing to do is a natural anti-inflammatory approach. You could take things like turmeric and boswellia are generally very good. There is a homeopathic remedy that can work very well for some people, and it's called um, it's, it's called Rutagrav. R-U-T-A-G-R-A-V. And for some people it works brilliantly, but unfortunately some people it doesn't work at all. And it does take time to heal. It's often as a result of an injury or maybe from repetitive strain. So a lot of people who play a lot of sports, like say tennis now, for example, would end up with frozen shoulder or it can happen in the the knees or the legs, anywhere really. So it's generally as a result of an old injury, Patricia. So ice, ice, ice. Keep icing it all the time because icing is always good for swelling and inflammation. It brings down the heat. And you could use a rub. Um, the Pernaton, P-E-R-N-A-T-O-N, is a very nice rub. Um, and sometimes people might get a bit of uh, re- relief as well from a magnesium gel rub because the muscles sometimes can spasm around the pain of the tendon. Okay, Gretchen wants to know, at night, Gretchen says, one of my feet boiling hot in bed to the extent that it keeps me awake. I have to have it outside of the duvet. Any advice, please? But it's only one foot. Yeah, it's an unusual one, Patricia. And actually, it's kind of a mystery, really, the burning foot thing, because so many, it's, it's like a lot of women have it, especially around menopause, but actually a lot of men get this as well. So I don't know, is there a, like, is it necessarily a hormonal link? Um, 
and the fact that it's one foot is very strange as well. So, like, sometimes it could be a side effect of medication, so I'm not sure if your listener is on any medication, but I have noticed maybe sometimes a blood pressure tablet could, could you know, if you've changed your blood pressure tablet, be a result of that. Taking magnesium can help, but I'd say the best thing to do is probably use one of those cooling foot gels. I know that um, will either do a lovely kind of a peppermint cooling one and also Pure Essentials is a French brand uh, that you'll find in health stores and they do a kind of a spray that freezes, which is fantastic for kind of muscle pain but would do really well for the hot foot here as well. Okay, next question in is, uh, hi Annalise, uh, what, what treatment would you suggest for nerve damage in my leg? So my Mill Street listener, don't know what's causing the nerve damage. So yes, and the, I suppose it's a difficult one really Patricia, if it's damaged nerve because it's been cut during surgery, I'm afraid there is very little that can be done for that uh, because if, if it's been cut, there's, you know, that's where the problem lies. A lot of people would have nerve damage and inflammation after shingles, so it could be that. Um, I suppose, again, it's kind of a natural anti-inflammatory approach. So those natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric and boswellia sometimes can be of help. But there is a homeopathic remedy called Hypericum, and it's spelled H-Y-P-E-R, hyper, um, I-C-U-M, Hypericum. And that is for damaged nerves and inflamed nerves. So that's worth trying for sure. Um, and again, if it's is a result of injury or if it's as a result of shingle, that will do the same job for both. Okay, listener says, any advice, uh, please? I've started to notice just over the last few nights my tummy rumbling when I'm in bed. Uh, and it never happened before. What's going on? What would cause tummy to start rumbling? Well, a tummy rumbles for various different reasons. Like, we don't realise it, but, like, your stomach is like a kind of a churning device, Patricia. So when you eat, your stomach actually has to contract and relax really, really roughly in order to mechanically help to break up the food that you've eaten, especially if you haven't chewed very well. So um, so your stomach can rumble when it's doing that. It can rumble when you're, um, ex- you know, when you're um, excreting di- the digestive juices into your stomach. Uh, which would be before you eat, when you smell food, that starts happening. Some people would have a huge amount of gurgling after they've eaten. So that's obviously the process of digestion. And then if your stomach is rumbling like that, maybe when it's empty, possibly eating something might help. Or maybe it's a little bit of acid being released into your stomach when it shouldn't be. So taking something like, if you want to go down the medical route, Gaviscon or Rennie's before you go to bed. Or if you want to go down the natural route, something like Slippery Elm. Um, but if you get any heartburn with it, it's definitely the acid thing. So the slippery arm in that case would help. OK, and very finally, a quick question for Annalise. Does Annalise do food intolerance tests? I do. And the ones I do, Patricia, are blood tests because I like the science of it. I've done them myself with different companies and they really come back with the same results. So I know they're accurate. Um, a blood result is actually looking for an immune response. So you're at not like a full-blown allergic reaction immune response but it still is immune response so um generally people would do it for stomach issues for skin issues for migraines would be a very common one as well and they are very they're generally very accurate and uh, people get a good good result if that's what the problem is okay and just a very final one has come in uh, would you have any suggestions to recommend how to remove brown stains from teeth uh, unfortunately, you'll have to probably go to your dentist because now you can take natural white toothpaste and charcoal would be the most typical 
remedy used because it's quite abrasive. But I'm always worried about anything too abrasive on my teeth, Patricia, because the more you take off the enamel, the quicker it is to stain again. So um, there used to be something called White Smile, which was a fairly natural tooth product. I think it's still for sale. And it comes, uh, it's, it's by two Irish girls. And you, you basically put the strip on your tooth and you use a blue light. And that can whiten your teeth. But if it's actually tartar that has stained, it needs to be scraped off. Yeah, it needs to go to the dentist. You need to go to the dentist. Okay. All right, listen, have a great week. We won't chat you next week because we've got our bank holiday, our St. Bridget's Day bank holiday. Uh, I forgot about that. (laughs) The amount of people that are going to turn up for work next Monday is going to be great. (laughs) Listen, enjoy that. And we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Take care. That is Annalise Giselle of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. Annalise will put up on her website this afternoon, healthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio uh, all of the items that we have been discussing today now let me quickly go to some of your comments that have been coming in on homework homework listen to this hi Trish our dad wouldn't allow us to do homework he said childhood was too precious and is too short to waste it on homework it never did any of us any harm we all got on well in life children today have so much pressure on them no wonder we hear so much about children and mental health issues on people in nursing homes the Mallow listener says Patricia heartbreaking that families were not allowed in to see their mothers or fathers while residents of nursing homes but Patricia the World Health Organisation set the rules for uh, everyone and you couldn't go against them it was for everybody's safety I think it was absolutely wrong but just think as to what might have happened if we were all been allowed to visit our loved ones particularly in the early days when we didn't know much about COVID and we didn't have vaccines uh, etc I couldn't even visit my own mother in her own home because of the distance rules remember the two kilometre rule the five kilometre rule and it was just awful speaking on the telephone was absolutely no uh, substitute but we all all had to obey the rules and the guidelines and that's exactly what we did but it has left people very very traumatised indeed that's from a Mallow listener thank you for that Uh, Rita and Frank says Patricia at the start of the programme you asked what did people get up to at the weekend well let me share with you says Rita and Frank we went to Belfast with others on the Belfaster blind bus that was organised by independent Daw deputy in West Cork Michael Collins we went for cataract surgery he was in Cork at 6am to see us all off on Saturday and at 12 midnight on Sunday he was there to welcome us back what a man Uh, thanks doesn't come close to all he does and I don't know was it Rita or Frank or both of them had the cataract surgery but can I just wish wish whoever it was a very speedy recovery and so many people are seeing today uh, because of that Belfast are blind uh, bus Hi Patricia I used to bring my father out on Sundays for lunch from a nursing home now this was just before before Covid then when Covid uh, started uh, once Sunday uh, he was home with me at home having Sunday lunch and my wife said why don't we put one of the children into another room and give your dad that room and don't let him go back to the nursing home and Dermot said I asked why and my wife said I've got a funny feeling if he, go- if he goes back in with all of the restrictions that are coming in and if God forbid he was to get COVID he would not survive and he certainly won't survive all of the restrictions so my dad remained home with us for the last three years and he's now returning back into a private uh, nursing home we have managed to secure a bed but he stayed home with us for the duration of the pandemic and obviously Dermot you're very grateful 
uh, to your wife that you and that you were able to accommodate your father. There's a lot of people would wished that they could have done something similar, but not everyone was in the position to do that, unfortunately. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 until the afternoon. Messenger, good afternoon. On C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.